You're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Well, good morning, church family. We're glad you're joining with us online. If you'll keep your Bibles open to Colossians chapter 1 with me that was read just a moment ago. We are so glad that you're joining with us today. Again, uh, thank you for coming and joining with us. You're going to find a communication card, a link in both our live stream chat room as well as the post there for Facebook Live. Please take a moment and complete that. Let us know how we could pray for you. In addition, you're going to find a link for the message notes, and we invite you to follow along in today's message, if you will. We're going to walk through in the moments to come in the weeks to come, the book of Colossians. We began this some weeks before Easter, and now we return back to it. We're going to explore the first half and the days to come, and I invite you to remain right there with me. Look with me today at this message and this topic. How do I support others in a time of need? How do I support others in a time of need? Now, some things in life just charge me up. Some things emotionally multiply for me, and I'm totally engrossed in a project. But for large parts of our lives, I think you and I would both have to agree, we feel empty. We feel depleted. In fact, some of you said that to me just this week on the phone. This isolation is grinding on you, and you're ready to see one another and interact with people. And that's certainly understandable because we do need each other. But when I feel empty and when I feel depleted, sometimes I don't know how to charge my spiritual and emotional life back up. If only our emotional lives worked like a smartphone. If only we had a charger that we could just sort of be full of energy again and zeal and enthusiasm for life. So today, when we ask, what can I do to support friends, family, church family, and loved ones? This is what we can do. You can pray. You can really pray for your friends, your family, and especially your church family. Keep your Bibles open right there to verse 9 in Colossians chapter 1. I don't know whether you saw it, but I want you to notice carefully that what he does here is a prayer. In fact, the text of Scripture says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Look at those, pray for you, asking that you might be filled. Now, you can tell what a man likes by what he does. You can tell what a man thinks by what he says. But you can tell what a man or a woman is by how they pray. And Paul here has an intimacy to his prayer life that I want you to have and I want myself and our church family to have. In fact, think of this. If I wanted to cook really well, I would turn on the Pioneer Woman with my wife. She loves watching that show then perhaps I could cook a little better. If I wanted some financial insights, and perhaps I would take an hour of billionaire Warren Buffett's time, the Oracle of Omaha. But if I really wanted to strengthen my prayer life, then I would ask the Apostle Paul. Because here's a truth for us today. You and I have to be convinced that we're not going to make it unless we really pray. Pray like Paul prays for his believing friends in this letter to Colossians. Again, it's a prayer here, and I want you to look at today, throughout today's message, you're going to find on the screen, we're going to highlight and sort of just bring your attention to the portions of the passage 
that we're keying our thoughts on. I don't want you to think that I'm the authority. I want you to know that the Word of God is authority. So here, here's how we pray. Here's how we support one another when we're down. First, we pray to know God better. We pray to know God better. Sometimes when we pray, we may pray for Brenda to be healed or John to get a job or to John to be safe. We all ask the Lord for someone to get a new job, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I want you to note in the 13 letters that Paul writes in the New Testament, Paul will often pray not for the circumstances to change, but he will pray, as the Bible instructs us, to pray for us to know God better. Now pay careful attention to the prayer. Pay careful attention to the sequence of the prayer because nothing is happening here haphazard. Look with me again in verse 9. He says, asking, watch this, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. So here's how we're to pray. We are to pray that God would open himself up. He would open himself up. He would reveal himself to us. Have you ever been around someone that they just really clam up? and you're trying to get a conversation going, and you might ask 10 questions inside of a minute, and instead of getting a thoughtful answer, they'll give you one-word answers. Maybe you have a teenage son at home, huh? And they don't even give you full, full one-syllable answers. They just give you grunts. It's difficult, isn't it, to communicate with someone who's clammed up, who's shut up. We need to pray that God would open himself up that's how that happens. We're to pray for that. We're to pray that God will reveal himself to our friends, our loved ones, our family, when they're down, when they're up, but especially when they're down. It would look like this. We could pray this way. God, would you make yourself real to my friend Brenda? God, would you open yourself up so that she could know you better? When people are hurting and when people are lonely, the Bible instructs us here in verse 9 that we are to pray that they might be filled with the knowledge of God's will. We're to pray that they would be filled with God's knowledge, the knowledge of his will, and so they would be possessing more spiritual wisdom and even greater understanding. And this knowledge is a deeper knowledge. It is a clear, a more clear knowledge. It is an ever-growing knowledge. In fact, we're to ask God, would you reveal yourself and open yourself up? But would you, would you open your will up to my life as well? In fact, I want you to look at this. The Bible says Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. What is this? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, the will of God, God has one way that he wants life to look like. Did you know that? God has a way. He has a will. He has a template for he wants all things to go like this. And that's for our finance lives, our sex lives, our work lives, our relationships within our family. Jesus said on one occasion, the people who do the will of God are his brothers and sisters. Keep it up. Remember when Jesus would pray this at Gethsemane? He would say, Father, all things are possible. All things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will but what you will. Now, oftentimes, evangelical Christians in America, we will pray for God's will around big decisions in life. When it comes to marriage, when it comes to a career path or a major in college, we're not only to pray for the big decisions in life, 
We're to pray for the small everyday decisions. In fact, the psalmist would say this, Psalm 143 in verse 10, teach me to do your will for you are, look at that next word, possessive. My God, let your good spirit lead me, in fact, on level ground. Now, the Bible does not instruct us here in Psalm 143, teach me your will. The Bible, notice it says, teach me, Father, teach me to do your will. Because knowing God's will gives us reassurance when we are down. How do I support others when they're down? I pray that they would know God's will for their own life. Because knowing God's will is a reassurance when we're down. Knowing God's will is an insight into what's happening around us at this time. In fact, keep reading now. Back in verse 9, we've looked at some of the earlier phrases, but now turn your attention to this word, the word knowledge. Do you see that word knowledge in verse 9? In fact, if you've got your Bibles open, you could circle or highlight that word because that word knowledge is a distinct knowledge. It's a personal know. It's not a, I know something about someone through a book. I know something about someone theoretically academically. No, this is different than the education in school. This is the kind of knowledge that is given to us as a gift from the Holy Spirit. This knowledge is a Holy Spirit provided gift of both wisdom and understanding. You will know God better when you ask God to fill you with knowledge of Him. Now, friend, let me let me perhaps help you with a myth. You don't get alone and just simply ask God to teach you more about him. You have to get alone with God's word because to know God's word is to know God's will. See it? So this is done in tandem. These two things, prayer for knowing God and knowing his will for your life alongside knowing the word of God. Someone has said this, to find God's will is life's greatest discovery. To know the will of God is life's greatest knowledge, but to do God's will is life's greatest achievement. So how do I support others when they're down? I pray for them. I pray that they would know God and that God would open himself, reveal more of himself. In fact, look back at nine, one more again, verse time. He says, since we've heard of you, since we've heard of the gift of the Holy Spirit back in verse eight, we have not ceased to pray for you. We have not ceased to pray for you. So this isn't a one-time prayer. This is a repeated, regular prayer. This is a constant prayer. This is rinse, wash, repeat. Rinse, wash, repeat. Now, this doesn't mean that Paul, who's our author of Colossians, would spend all of his life on his knees praying. I am certain he spent a lot of his life on his knees praying. But this doesn't mean that you and I have to pray all the time with our head bowed, eyes closed, and knees on the ground. But we should be praying constantly. The everyday background music, the elevator music of our daily lives is a constant prayer. So this is how we to pray for our spiritual leaders. This is how we're to pray for new believers. This is how we pray for people in our family, our husbands and our wives, our children, our grandchildren. 
This is how we pray for one another as friends and co-workers. Again, this is how we're to pray when life has us down. We're to pray that we're to know God better. Now remember, what you're looking at here in Colossians is a prayer. And it's a prayer that Paul prayed, not so much that circumstances would change, that someone would be healed or someone would get a job or life would be easier. Instead, he prays in the hard circumstances of life that we would know more about God, know more of him relationally. Here's the second thing. Not only am I to pray to know God better, but I'm to pray, I'm to pray to please God more. I'm to pray to please God more. Now, most of us at one time or another have eaten Quaker oats for breakfast. Maybe your food pantry is so low right now, you're eating, all you're eating is Quaker oats. God bless you, my friend. Henry Parsons Kroll is a name that's relatively new to me, but he is the inventor of Quaker oats. But his second part of his life, known as the cereal tycoon, was quite blessed. But his first part of his life wasn't as easy. In fact, his father passed away when he was but the age of nine years old. His father passed away of tuberculosis. Because his father passed away, Henry himself did not receive a high school diploma. He would later come down with tuberculosis. And in his first marriage, after but two and a half years of that marriage, Henry's wife, Lillian, passed away. Now, in this first part of his life was a great deal of challenges. So what would happen to Henry? Well, later on when he was the serial tycoon, he had this statement on his desk. This was his motto of life. It said, if my life can be lived so as to please him in every way, I am supremely happy. Henry lifted that straight from Colossians 1.10. Look with me at the passage again. Verse 9 is the beginning of the sequence. Now watch the sequence of the prayer. There's an order to it. There's a pattern to it. So as to walk, how do I know God? I'm to know God better. I'm to know God so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Friend, a clear understanding of God's will will lead to a life that lives to please God. More knowledge of God's will leads to more obedience to God's will. Now watch this truth. This is a sort of a seesaw in Scripture for believers. Discovering more, discovering more of God's knowledge, discovering more about knowing God depends on obeying the parts of God's will I already know. In fact, in our every thought and deed, here's a question we should be asking. What would Jesus have me to do? What would Jesus have me to do? In fact, look at that phrase there in verse 10. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And you're going to find there's four dependent thoughts, four dependent specific pieces that's going to show us how we can walk fully pleasing to God. Think of this as a woman's charm bracelet, and four charms are coming off of it. The first of which, in verse 10, here's the first dependent thought, specific way that you and I can please the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work. When you and I know God's will, we will have a, we will have a harvest of good deeds in our lives. We'll be productive and powerful. People are going to want us around because we are the kind of people that bless others. 
I found it interesting, a 2004 study said that 30% of atheists admit to praying occasionally, praying sometimes. Well, whether you're an atheist or whether you're a believer, here's our prayer. Father, would you open up more of yourself so that I would live a life that pleases you and bear good deeds? That's our prayer. Here's the second specific area. Each of these are dependent upon that at the verse 10, being fully pleasing to God. Here's the second. We're growing. We're increasing in the knowledge of God. My believing friends, don't be satisfied with your current level of knowledge of God. Don't be satisfied. Have a desire to know more of God's will. You should always want to increase that. There's a marriage, again, between knowing God's will and doing God's pleasure. Here's the third thought, the third specific way that we can show we're fully pleasing to God, that we're God-empowered. Now, I don't know about you, short-duration projects I love a lot better than long-term projects. Running to the mailbox is not a problem. Running the Boston Marathon is a problem. Wouldn't you agree with that? I could run with the mailbox all day long. But now think of this. If I'm going to live a life, all my life, every week of the year, every moment of every hour, and every year of my life, and I'm going to live that fully pleasing to God, that's a daunting task. How do I find the power? Verse 11, the Bible says the result of knowing God more and pleasing God is I'm being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. When you and I are depleted, we can feel a charge like a smartphone and a charging cord. What's our charging cord? It is prayer, specifically praying this template, this powerful prayer embedded in the book of Colossians. Prayer is your charging station. And you're not charging at 110 volts or 220 volts. You have an opportunity to charge. Look back at verse 11 according to his glorious might. There's never, there's never a power shortage when it comes to God. In fact, what does that power, what does it do? Look again in verse 11, the end of verse 11, for all endurance, I'm charged, I'm empowered for all endurance and patience with joy. Most of us pray, God, would you help me escape this situation? But look how Paul is teaching us to pray. The Bible's teaching us to pray, God, would you empower me for staying power, persevering power? A 2010 study discovered that people pray more, they pray more frequently the older they get. You know why older people pray more? They're more cognizant of their weakness. Because they're more cognizant of their weakness, they know they need staying power. They need endurance. Here's the fourth. All four of these, again, the charms based on verse 10. It's giving thanks. At the beginning of verse 12, give thanks to the Father. The Bible says you and I are to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. So there they are, all four. All four. First, we're to have a harvest of good deeds. God loves, that's his plan for your life, that you are full of good deeds. Second, that you are growing in the knowledge of the Lord. Third, that you're empowered by him. And fourth, that you're giving thanks. Here in the end of this message, let me just sort of power this down right here. Look with me at the end of verse 12, all the way through 14. And I want to gather everyone around the screen. I want you to focus and listen with me. Many of you think that life 
If you're going to be pleasing to God, then you have to qualify. Like the Olympics that was just put off due to the coronavirus, that you've got to qualify. You have to run the race. And if your deeds qualify, God will bring you in. But look at verse 12. The Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints, He has delivered you from the domain of darkness and transformed into the kingdom of light. Friend, if you're going to be pleasing to God, it's not about you qualifying. It's not about the good deeds that you amass as far as a good life. Those are the result. What has to happen in the beginning is you say, Father, I'm unworthy. Would you come qualify me? Would you deliver me? Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.